Hello. Um, so before we get started, um, because our lovely youth are joining us um, and you don't get to go and have fun and run around upstairs, we have some extra bits and bobs for you guys in case you need help focusing or you want to do a quiz. And the fun thing about it is um, there are prizes at the end. So if you complete them and come find me, you can get some Easter themed goodies. Um, you don't have to do them, but it's just if you want something extra to do um, this morning, Joe is handing those out. Um, if you would like one, why don't you stick your hand up and then Joe can um, come and find you. Just the youth, yeah? Yeah, just the youth. Sorry. <laughs> Adults, you just have to concentrate. Great. Don't know if we've got, have we got slides? Yeah, we do. Wonderful. Thank you. So, um, as we've already said, this morning we're carrying on our mini-series looking at the symbols of Jesus, and we're just going back to basics, really, and looking at what is probably the most well-known, but potentially one of the least understood symbols of Jesus, really, um, by looking at the cross. And there is a Roman philosopher called Cicero who once wrote that the cross should be removed from a Roman citizen's thoughts, his eyes and ears, because it's not something that a civilised person in the Roman world should have witnessed ever or even talked about. And it was that horrendous, it was that horrific, and it was that humiliating that they just didn't even associate it with it. It was out on the outskirts of the towns. And anyone around at the time in the first century when Jesus was crucified, whether they were Jew or a Gentile or Greek, they all saw the cross as an act of complete humiliation and um, to be cursed by God, basically. And so... We wonder why today the cross is one of the most widely recognised symbols in the world. It has and it continues to influence our society and our cultures. Um, cathedrals and abbeys and churches are structurally um, designed on the shape of a cross. We have statues erected all over the world to represent Jesus on the cross. Many people will wear a cross on their jewellery, um, even if they don't even believe in Jesus in graveyards all over the world, we have tombstones made of crosses to symbolise those who have fought and given their lives for us. And even in art and film, they recognise the power and the imagery of the cross and they use it, whether it's subtly or not, to provoke emotions in us. And so our question is, why is it that a symbol of death, of torture and suffering and humiliation a symbol that used to speak of Rome's power and might is now a symbol that speaks of God's love and justice. It is now a symbol that is at the centre of a faith that is built on hope and forgiveness and joy and peace. And so we want to look at that today, how something that was so horrific can now be something that represents such love. And to do that, we're going to look at a chapter in the book of Mark, um, which was one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And so it's a little sneaky preview if you come on Thursday. Um, so it's chapter 15, and we're going to read quite a lot of it. So I'd encourage you to get out your Bibles, because we won't have it on the screen. And if you don't have um, a copy or on your phone that you can read, there are some at the back which you can grab. So verse 1. Very early in the morning... The chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. 
You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of the self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to be crucified. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see who would get it. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shebechtani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. There was a lot happening at the cross and in the lead up to Jesus's crucifixion. Um, and to be honest, I think there's more than we can try and comprehend in one Sunday morning. So we'll just have a go at some of it. Um, and just trust that God is going to speak to us through those bits. One of the first things that I really want us to take away from today is that in all of this, God chose the cross. In what we read, Jesus doesn't actually seem to do a lot. When questioned by Pilate, he doesn't answer. 
When he's mocked and flogged and beaten, he doesn't retaliate, even though he is innocent. And as God totally has the power to just take down the soldiers that are beating him. But he wasn't passive at all. It was not something that was forced on him. It wasn't something that just happens by accident. Jesus always knew that he would die on the cross and he willingly chose to go and the Father willingly let him. Did you know that there are around 400 prophecies about Jesus's life and death throughout the Old Testament? It was no accident what happened and Jesus knew this all his life. So why did he do it? Because the Father is at work in Christ through the cross. God wasn't spectating and just letting things happen. God and Jesus were working together on the cross to do something big. In Romans chapter 8, um, it says, He who did not spur his own son, but gave him up for us all. And another verse in Romans tells us that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. There was always a purpose and that purpose was and continues to be for us, for the people that God created to bring us back into a relationship with him. The word atonement in um, this verse is a really, really important one. And there's one way that we can think of it, which is to break it up as at one mint, which is when two things that are separate are coming together and they're becoming one. And in the Old Testament, on the day of atonement for Israel, it was when Israel was made one again with God. They had been separated by God, from God by their sins and through the atonement sacrifice of a pure and spotless lamb, they were brought back into unison with God. And in the New Testament, Jesus is the one who is the sacrifice for our sins. He is the one who is the purest and most spotless lamb. And he is the ultimate sacrifice. And it is through that shedding of his blood that we are brought into that unity and that one again with God. It says in 2 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot of um, for us in all of these verses and throughout the Bible. And I just really want us to hold on to that as well, that we were the reason that this all happened. And a quick note, um, sin has come up a lot. And just for the purposes of this morning, I thought it'd be good if we could just define what we mean when we talk about that, because there might be some of us here who, who don't know what that really means. And sin is when we choose to live for ourselves instead of God. It is when we put our pride and selfishness before God's plans in our hearts and lives. Sin is when we disobey him. And we all sin, whether we are aware of it or not. And we are all there in the story of what happens at the cross. We are the ones who mocked him, the ones who join in with the crowds and shout crucify him. We are not innocent bystanders who can say that we have nothing to do with this and this doesn't matter to us. Because it was all of our sin that put Jesus on that cross. And you might ask, what's the big deal about sin? Why is it so bad that Jesus had to actually die? And it's because God is holy and just. And that means that he can't be with sin. He can't look at sin. We can't have a close, intimate relationship with him while we are still sinful. And so we are separated from him. And it's only when the wrong that we have done is forgiven and dealt with that we can be restored back to God. 
but we can't have the forgiveness without the sacrifice. God is loving and he is gracious, but he is also just. And that means he doesn't just let things slide. Just like when we find it really unfair um, when someone does something wrong and they don't get punished. The classic childhood one is, my brother hit me, or he stole my toys and he won't let me play. And then you go and you complain to mum and dad and then they don't do anything. Um, and you just get so riled up and you're like, that's not fair. This isn't justice. Justice needs to be served. They needs to be punished. Um, we have inklings of that. Um, and God is kind of the same, but obviously it's not as trivial as your brother not sharing your toys. Um, but instead of all of us having to pay the price for what we did, what God does instead is he sends Jesus to do it for us, to be the one that could meet all of the needs required for that full forgiveness and justice. And Jesus is the only one who is able to do that because he is fully God and he is fully man at the same time. And in death, Jesus had become like us in every way. Just as he was born a baby like we are, he grew up, he experienced emotions and, and hunger and temptation. And at the cross, he experienced pain and suffering and finally death. And he had become even more like us. And to die um, is to experience the last thing that all of humans face. And so in death, Jesus was fully like us and therefore able to fully empathize with us and to fully represent us before God. And by sacrificing himself, Jesus was making a new covenant with God. And we've heard a bit about covenants um, during our series of the Year of Biblical Literacy. And in the Old Testament, God made four covenants in particular with Noah, Abraham, the Israelites, and David. And if we don't know what a covenant is, just a really simple explanation of it is it's a partnership. It is working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. God makes promises and in exchange he asks, he asks us to work with him, to partner with him. For example, in Exodus 19, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to give to the Israelites and to keep and obey them. And if they did that, his promise was that they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But they didn't keep those commandments. They decided to do what they wanted instead. But through Jesus, a new covenant has been made. And it's one that can't be broken. We can't mess it up by ourselves this time. We can't be the ones that go um, and ruin it on us. Not like the ones in the Old Testament. And one of the, the symbols that happens um, that we can look at when Jesus died on the cross was um, a really simple verse that gets skipped over quite a lot is verse 38 in um, Mark. And it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it just gets glossed over so easily. But this is one of my absolute favorite details of the whole of the gospel story. So I'm going to share a bit more about that with you. Um, in the, the temples, there was this huge curtain or veil that they would call it. Um, and it looked, it was fancy and it was big, and it kind of looked like something like that, if you can see it. And this curtain represented the separation of God from us. And on the other side of the curtain was where God's presence was. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And it was the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. And only the high priest was able to go behind this curtain and come into God's presence but he was only able to do that after making sacrifices and doing all of the appropriate cleansing. 
And it was such a powerful thing to go into God's presence that the high priests actually had to have rope tied around them with bells on and everything, so that if in the presence of God it was so overwhelming that they died, um, the other priests could just pull them out without risking death themselves. Um, it was that much of a, of a big deal to go into the presence of God behind the curtain. And there was a lot of um, instructions around these things. Um, we can find a lot of them in Leviticus. Um, and just as a sample for you, just to see how much went into it. Um, in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 27 to 34, it says this. The bull and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. The hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must then wash his clothes and bathe himself with water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. This is to be a, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether you are a native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make the atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. There are a lot of rules and instructions and particular particular details around sacrifice and coming into the temple in the Old Testament. And one of the key things that I want us to know is that the, this only happened once a year. It happened every year, but it was only once a year, and it was only the high priest who got to go in. But Jesus changes all of that when he died at the cross, because when the, the curtain is torn in two, it opened up a way for us to go into the most holy place. It's no longer just the high priest that was able to go through. You didn't have to make hundreds of sacrifices or lots of cleansing rituals in order to do that. Because Jesus, on our behalf, was the ultimate sacrifice. And that means we don't need to keep doing it over and over and over again. And it means that through Jesus, we have been made clean enough and holy enough to go into God's presence but not only did he make a way for us to go into God's presence, he opened the way for God's presence to come out. And now we can encounter God anywhere and everywhere. We're able to gather here today and be in God's presence. But also when we leave here, God is with us. He is in us and he has chosen to, to dwell in us and to be with us. And it's all because of Jesus's death and resurrection that his spirit was able to come. And Jesus' death on the cross and the new covenant means that one sacrifice has been made for the forgiveness of sins forever. Jesus' sacrifice was enough to justify us despite all of the wrong things we've done, even though we don't deserve it because we continually mess up over and over and over again. Because of what Jesus has done, we are completely forgiven. And when we choose to follow him, we receive that forgiveness and we are made holy in his sight. And we get to be in God's presence. We don't have to wait on someone else to go on our behalf. We get to talk to him ourselves, which I think is just incredible. I think we take that for granted, that we can actually just talk to God where we're at about anything. Um, you know, when you're cleaning your bathroom, you know, it's, it's, it's a holy place because God is there. And we can have that relationship with God.
because Jesus makes it personal. He takes what happens at the cross and he makes a way for us to connect back to our Father. And like some of the things that we're singing about, um, you know, we sing about Jesus being our friend and, um, you know, there are songs about how God is such a good, good Father. But the only way that we're really able to have those intimate relationships um, with him is because he has made that way. He tore the curtain so that we could be with him. And in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, the writer wrote, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And the thing is, it doesn't just, oh, two, four. It doesn't just end um, with Jesus at the cross. Actually, because of what Jesus has done, there is a response needed from us. And in Hebrews, we are encouraged to draw near to God. We still have to come into that partnership with him if we choose. He doesn't force us to, we have to decide, because actually if we were forced into it, we wouldn't be coming with sincere hearts. And um, just to kind of sum some of the things up and on the theme of symbols, um, there's this thing called the four points, which really helps us um, really just simply and succinctly understand um, what Jesus was doing and the gospel. And so the first one, which is the love heart, is that God loves us and God is the one that has created us and he created us to be in loving relationship with him. But then we have sinned and that has separated us from God through the wrong that we have done. And so Jesus comes to die on the cross for us in our place for us to receive forgiveness. And then the last one is the question mark. And I think this is actually one of the most important ones because we can hear what Jesus has done, but it's only really going to change if we make a response. And so our question today is, what's your response to Jesus? It could be that you don't really know anything about Jesus or you're here visiting friends and you kind of got dragged along to church. Um, but there's just something that intrigues you or you want to know more. And it could be that your response is to do that, is to ask questions, is to find out who Jesus is, or it's to say yes to following him. And for others of us who are already following Jesus, there are so many other responses. We can never hear enough of Jesus. And actually, I just, um, I had the sense that maybe there are some of us who coming up to Easter have lost the truth of Jesus and the cross and what has happened for us. And maybe it's coming afresh to the cross and looking on the face of Jesus and just being thankful again for what he's done. Or it could be that you absolutely are on fire for all of this stuff and you know exactly what you want to do. You know who Jesus is and you know who you are and you know who he's made you to be. And maybe the response is to go and share with others and to take this message of the cross and of forgiveness and share it with those people around you and in your communities. 
But whatever your response is today, we all have a decision to make. And so if I can ask the band to come up and join us, um, we're just going to go into some ministry. Thankfully, we've got loads of time for it, which is great. Um, and as one of the responses that you might want to make today, um, we're not going to have communion as a whole church. We did that last week and that was wonderful. But there might be some of us here this morning that just need to do something really symbolic of um, doing our business with Jesus. And so if you would like to receive communion today, that's going to be on the your right hand side um, at the front of this stage. And um, Carol and Dave are going to be there for you if you would like that. And you could come up at any point during ministry um, and during worship and do that. But yeah, let's hand over to the band and have a time just to think and let's ask Jesus what is our response? What do we need to do? And then Nigel will lead us in ministry. <laughs>